sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. It's that time. Welcome in to Cover It with Teddy Covers here on Sirius XM Channel 159, The Sports Grid, a radio network. Over the course of the next hour, we're going to get to hang out with a good friend of mine, Andy Isco, the nicest guy in sports betting. Andy's going to help us break down the world of MLB and baseball betting as the calendar has turned to June. We're going to talk about good lineups, bad lineups. Good bullpens, bad bullpens, top over teams, top under teams, teams we want to be betting on, teams we want to be betting against. Simple stuff. And yet, <laughs> MLB can be a little bit complicated at times. So we'll try to give you the low-hanging fruit, try to keep it simple. I look forward to my discussion with Andy Isco coming up in just a few minutes. But before we get into Andy Isco, I don't do a lot of talk about golf on this show. I don't, and I'm not going to talk really about golf right here, (laughs) but we're going to talk about a golfer. I mean, I I really try to focus on the three biggest U.S. betting sports. Those are the sports that I know best. That's, you know, football, NFL in college, basketball, NBA in college, Major League Baseball. Those are the, when it comes to sports betting handle here in the United States, those three sports, you know, football, baseball, basketball, the lion's share uh, of dollars. Nonetheless... Phil Mickelson is in the news today. <laughs> uh, he's been in the news all week. $40 million in gambling losses between 2010 and 2014. Look, it's not anything to joke about, considering the dude has a gambling problem. And there are people with gambling problems. If you can't control your gambling, you've got to get help. Phil Mickelson had plenty of disposable income. And he's disposed of it to the sports books. So there's a new book coming out by Alan Shipnuck talking about the $40 million in gambling losses that Mickelson suffered reportedly between 2010 and 2014. Of course, Mickelson was a uh, defendant in the insider trading case that sent Billy Walters, arguably the most famous sports player of all time, to prison. Walters has, uh, has been released since then, obviously, and he said he's writing a book. That's the book I want to read, not necessarily Shipnick's one. But, look, I met Billy Walters. I've interviewed Billy Walters. The guy is sharp as a tack. He's hard to talk to, <laughs> hard to get good quotes from, and he's a guy who often bets both sides of the game. He'll lay three and a half with one team. The markets will move. He'll take six back with the other team. You know, Billy Walters has been doing that for the better part of the last 40 years. Phil Mickelson trying to piggyback off Billy Walters, just like most people that are trying to piggyback off of Billy Walters. You know, I see service out there, oh, we got all of Billy Walters' plays. No, you don't. <laughs> okay? No, you don't. Billy Walters doesn't have all of Billy Walters' plays because he doesn't know what he's going to get on or off of as actual opinions as opposed to just taking advantage of betting numbers uh, until the minutes before kickoff or tip-off. So anyone that says they have Billy Walters plays is lying. <laughs> and uh, Billy Walters, the way that he has worked in the sports betting world is say one thing, bet here one way, bet there the other way. And when you have thousands of accounts to bet into, 
you can really hide your action. Billy Walters has been exceptional doing that over the years. But this isn't about Billy Walters. This is about Phil Mickelson. And Phil Mickelson's, you know, Mickelson was making a million dollars a week at the time. They were saying it was uh, $48 million. So uh, a year during that span. So the fact that he lost one-fifth of his total income or one-sixth of his total income to gambling during that span, again, it's all relative based on how much you make. But... When you start to read the stuff like this, and then you get the quotes and comments from Mickelson. Again, Mickelson was a guy who was trying to get the PGA to move to Saudi Arabia, you know, or trying to break up the PGA and get the golfers to go to Saudi Arabia. Mickelson's the guy who got sued by his caddy over a, uh, uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars in back pay that he didn't pay. And again, I cannot say this for fact, but I can absolutely say this for rumor. There isn't a pro athlete that has a worse reputation in Las Vegas than Phil Mickelson. Mickelson's a guy who's known for taking out markers and not paying them back. He's known for not tipping. He's known for berating dealers and staff. and uh, Just a jerk. <laughs> so uh, I don't want to make fun of anyone. With a gambling problem. But to see Phil Mickelson lose $40 million, or the reports of him losing $40 million, I can't say it made me sad. Uh, You know, it helps keep the lights on here in Las Vegas. That being said, if you are having issues in any way, shape, or form with being unable to control your gambling, please get some help. It's no shame in that. You have to be able to watch a game without betting on it. You have to be able to bet within your bankroll, within your means. You have to be able to take a loss and not be internally driven to double up and double up and double up. And you have to be able to accept the fact that when you're not seeing things clearly, you bet less, not more. You step up your wager sizes when you're winning, not when you're losing. So... I know there are folks out there that have issues. We don't talk about it a lot, but it needs to be mentioned in this circumstances of making fun of Phil Mickelson for six minutes at the top of the show. Maybe it deserves to be mentioned a lot. (laughs) All right. Andy Isco is coming up. And look, just a quick note. This is my last, well, not a last. I'm taking one week off next week. I'll be gone next weekend, but I'll be back the following week. But in the meantime... Stay tuned. Andy Isco coming up right here on Cover It with Teddy Covers, Sirius XM Channel 159, the Sports Grid Radio Network. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. It's the first week of June, MLB managers starting to get fired, (laughs) and let's bring in Andy Isco to talk about it. Mr. Isco, at VegasAndy711 on Twitter. Uh, Andy's a guy that I've known literally since my first couple years in Las Vegas. I started working with Andy Isco when I was doing the Stardust line at the legendary, venerable race and sportsbook at the Stardust Hotel and Casino on the fabulous Las Vegas Strip. Of course, the Stardust has been, we got imploded, what, 15 years ago, uh, Andy? Uh, so it's been a while. Yeah, I, th- I think it's been called up until recently the big hole on the Strip. <laughs> yeah, but now it is, uh, it is Resorts and, uh, Ultimately canceled uh, projects until now. 
Have you been to Resorts World yet? Have you seen the new place that they built? And I, I haven't even been over there yet. I've heard good things, no, but I've not have yet I have not gotten overwhelmingly favorable reviews, but I think that people tend to be a little too critical because it takes a while to get the bugs out of opening a new uh, a new property, and people are so accustomed to have everything going the right way that sometimes they're a little bit impatient. But I may get over there at some point over the summer and uh, give an objective opinion. Yeah, I'm sure I will as well. And, of course, one of the things I loved about doing radio with Andy Isco, the Stardust Line, uh, we do it every Saturday night. It was a two-hour show from 10 to midnight. And the beauty of Andy Isco, there's many beauties, but one of the beauties of Andy Isco is a radio partner. In the middle of summer, when there's six baseball games to talk about, Andy Isco can stretch like nobody's business. He can go for 10 minutes on one game talking about one pitcher. And in the middle of football season, we have, you know, 80 games to get through in a two-hour span. Andy Isco can be very concise with his analysis. I always appreciated that about Andy, uh, about that about you, Andy, and I'm glad to have you on today. Uh, let's start with this. It's been my How's fascination your season since I was a, a young child, fascinated with time. <laughs> You're fascinated with time. Well, the time is flying. We're two months into baseball season. Most teams have played uh, in the range of what, uh, f- say, 50, 55 games, uh, 60 games so far. Um, how's your season going? Third of the season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're a third of the way through. How's your season going? And what do you see as your strengths and weaknesses in MLB so far? My weakness in MLB is making me crazy, Andy. It's a low-hanging fruit. I see it. I'm like, oh, I got to play the Rockies over at home every game. And then I don't bet it. And the Rockies now 15 and 6 to the over their last 21 at home. Stuff like that, it just makes me crazy. I'm going to talk. I'm going to give you a low-hanging fruit play at the end of the show today. But how's your season going so far, and what do you see as your strengths and weaknesses? It, it's been decent, not outstanding. Hard to say what the strengths and weaknesses are because they vary from day to day. Quite honestly, where I see things that seem to be—I don't say too good to be true—but it's you know I've always maintained when I'm when I'm talking about the handicapping theory and all that is that let's uh, I say get out a sheet of paper uh, you know, mentally or however you want to do it conceptually write down all the reasons why you like the play that you're about to uh, make a bet on and then on the other side of the column uh, the the next column next to it write all the reasons to support a play against the play that you are intending to make and if after doing this exercise for say 10 minutes you find you've got nine items on the left side supporting your play and two items on the other side against your play you probably should pass because there's probably some subconscious hidden bias to support the reasons why you want to play uh, the game on the, the team on the left side. So sometimes what I try to do is make a case where a case really can't be made for playing the other team as opposed to trying to uh, overlook a, a consideration. In other words, why will team A win? Okay, these are the reasons. Team A may win, but not because of those reasons. Why might team B win? Well, they might win because of these uh, these reasons. And those reasons are the ones that actually come into play or create a, low, uh, a close loss. So I think it's just relying too much on instinct, uh, which is a good part of handicapping, but not over relying over over relying on 
it and looking over some of the some of the obvious reasons that you should be hesitant about playing your play. And I guess sometimes my weakness would be is that I try to outthink myself when it comes to making first five inning plays on unders or uh, for, or, or uh, full game plays on uh, on overs. Sometimes I should look and can give more consideration to the fact that the game is nine innings or sometimes that the game can be bet five innings and when you've got like an outstanding pitching matchup sometimes the first couple of innings are shaky so that the first five inning total goes over the three and a half and then things settle down and the bullpens are decent. That's the other thing I also like to rely on and and consider a strength is evaluation of bullpens using a method that, that I've seen work over the years as far as the ratings that I give various components of the team because the one thing you know about a team that has a good pen, good bullpen is that it has a good bullpen, but you don't know what the usage of that bullpen is generally going to be on a day-to-day basis unless one or two guys are unavailable for having worked the two, the two previous games. Sure, and, and when you start, and we'll talk a lot about bullpens uh, before this show is through, but certainly there's more randomness from bullpens than just about any other factor. And in general, you know, you get a Brewers team that has a great bullpen or a Giants team that has a miserable bullpen. And, you know, the Giants pen that night will throw six innings of shutout ball and then, then, then the Brewers will see uh, their setup man and their closer blow a lead. I mean, it, it happens more often than we like to admit, which makes me want to ask you, Andy, is a, a follow-up on that. I've been doing a lot more in terms of splitting my wager between first five and full game, you know, um, yeah. where you where you either split it in half or two, but two thirds one way and one third the other. It's kind of a hedge against some of the randomness that baseball brings. And again, it's going to cost you sometimes when you like the full game. You're like, well, let's split it for a full game first five, and you lose the first five and win the full game, or you bet less. Uh, on the full game and and, and push uh, first five. Uh, do you do a lot of those split wagers, Andy? Where you're doing, uh, you know, I, I see people doing it now where they're laying minus one and a half for some of it and laying them on the money line for some of the else to create a minus one type of line. Uh, I see betters doing first five and full game, uh, and all these are various kind of hedging tactics to uh, to protect yourself against some of the randomness of MLB. Is that something you like to do, or is that uh, kind of not uh, really uh, uh, part of your uh, your daily routine? I don't do it on a day, uh, let's say day by day or daily basis, but I do consider it at certain times where I can make a good case for the first five. I can also make a good case for the full game, but I also realize that you know the scoring may not be at the pace that I expect it to be. So uh, I might be willing to say I think the should be the first five. Should be, uh, and, and uh, I use it more for totals than I do for sides. But what I will do is I will say it's more likely that this game gets a slow start and then turns it over to the uh, bullpens, which are not very good bullpens, and so most of the scoring I expect would be late. So, for example, if I have two good starting pitchers, what I consider Class A or Class B pitchers, and they're matching up against each other, and I guess this is a little bit related to another part of the handicapping theory, the evolution of the diminished use of starting pitchers, where if I've got a, a starting pitching matchup where it says, you know, this game could be a one nothing, 2-1 to duel into the late innings, I might be able to to make a play on the first five innings under and then maybe a play on the 
full game over if I've also got uh, two very weak, what I consider out of my A, B, C, D, E, D and E bullpens going up against each other. So that I would expect that the first few innings would be low scoring and the last uh, uh, five, six innings, well, well, probably more like three or four innings because I'm betting on starters that generally have a tendency to go at least five and preferably six innings. So I will do it that way. And then again, I will play over in the first five innings if I find two pitchers who aren't expected to last to the fifth or sixth innings, and there are a number of those. And I'll expect there to be a lot of scoring uh, in the early innings, whereas the later innings, especially if we're going with medium to better bullpens, may be able to only allow a run or two late. And so that you know a game that starts out three to one after three innings ends up being six to two or five to two. So I'd, I'd rather have the first five innings rather than the full game. But I mean, real quick, Andy, because we've got 30 seconds for the break, but are there legitimately situations where you'll bet a first five under and a full game over? Because that's something I, I can't recall I've ever done. Uh, it, it's rare, but it is under consideration because if you're betting it, uh, it, you have to have two really bad bullpens and two starters who probably don't average more than five innings. Sure. More with Andy Isco coming up after the break. Cover it. Continue. Channel 159, The Sports Grid Radio Network. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Don't miss anything from our programming. Go to Twitter and follow us at SportsGrid, at SportsGrid TV, at SportsGrid Radio. Stay informed all day long. You're going to see clips, breaking news, updates, and pretty much anything else. Everything else. Anything and everything else at SportsGrid, at SportsGrid TV, at SportsGrid Radio. You can follow Andy Isco at VegasAndy711. Of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Teddy underscore covers. Andy, I want to talk about your process. When it comes to, because this is something that a lot of recreational bettors at times struggle with. What's a play and what's a lean? And how do I not bet my leans or should I bet my leans? Or, you know, what's the difference between pulling the trigger on a wager and holding back? Talk about your process. You said before earlier that you want to, that you want to, you're at least mentally making a pro and con list for every team. As you do it, um, how do you decide what's a bet and what's just a lean or an opinion? What stats or methodology do you use? I, I think it's really just an overall sense of confidence that you have. You're feeling uh, when you're seeing things correctly and you're on a nice winning streak, you tend to feel more confident about making a play a play rather than a lean. And conversely, when you are not uh, when you're not in a good uh, position, when you've not been seeing things correctly, even though the handicap seems to make sense, uh, you scale back a little bit. Uh, one the, you know, the one advantage I always say that the players have over the book over the bookmakers is that we have the selectivity. They put lines up on every game. We put we make plays only on the games that we are confident upon. So we can pass. And there's situations, you know, at certain times of the year, even in baseball, even though it's a day-to-day sport, well, I'll pass on a day because nothing really stands out as a play, and I'm willing to accept the fact that okay, it's a you know, it's a day with 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 no no plays that I have strong confidence in. Now I, I always start by looking, even though it's 
been diminished, as I mentioned earlier. I always start by looking at the starting pitchers who are going to go in the game. And when I, you go back to splitting wagers and things like that, are these pitchers likely to go five or six innings deep? That never used to be a question even 10 years ago where we have a decent number of complete games pitched and we would have uh, pitchers routinely average between six and seven innings per start. I think that average now is down to between five and six innings per start. It'll probably pick up over the course of the season because of the uh, the aborted spring training, the shortened spring training this year, and I'm already noticing some teams allowing uh, some of their better pitchers to go extended innings. So I'll start with that, and I'll use the key statistics that I look at for pitching, and that generally comes down to uh, a measure of strikeouts, uh, to, uh, to, to walks, uh, that ratio. I look at the overall whip ratio, which is basically base runners per inning. I look at the uh, uh, the form that the pitcher is in. Has he been consistent over his last three starts, or five, three to five starts? Has he been trending one way or the other to determine? Uh, I don't. I never like to try and guess when a consistency streak will start or end, unless there are some proven pitchers who normally can't go more than three or four starts before throwing in a clunker or two. Most pitchers will have, uh, let's say, uh, good, bad, bad, good, good, bad, bad, good, 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 bad, like that, and you can't really identify it unless you do a deeper dive into the quality of the opponent uh, that the uh, pitcher has faced over that uh, over that period. Are they facing good pitchers on good teams, bad pitchers on good teams, bad pitchers on weak teams, etc., to look for situations where I think that there are advantages. Now, these advantages or disadvantages are going to be reflected in the line, so you do have to be sensitive to the line. At the same time, you realize that with a money line play, you're just picking for a team to win a game. So you can have a little bit more of a variation in what you're willing to lay or what you're demanding to take. So that's the overall beginning part of the uh, uh, of the process. And then you do have to figure out intangibles, travel, end of road trip, start of road trip, etc., start of homestand, uh, recent history between the teams, upcoming schedule over the next few days where there might be a change in the pitching rotation. So every, every matchup is unique in its own form, but I do like to look at the numbers, and I would probably say recency is important. Uh, significant splits between home and on the road are important, and I'll even factor in when we have that information, usually for the opening game of the series, it's just right the hour or two before, the umpire working the game to see if there are any tendencies that the umpire has that play into the strength or weaknesses of uh, the pitcher who's starting the game. That's usually reflected in the umpire's ability to uh, call balls and strikes and the pitcher's and the pitcher's ability to show control with balls and strikes. Yeah, I've done much less with umps over the years. Back in the day, I used to do a ton uh, with the umpires. I haven't found it as predictive in recent seasons. Have you? I have, but much to a much lesser extent as far as the number of umpires who can be uh, relied upon. Now, uh, clearly, and, and that will also be reflected in the in the line that I'm willing to play for the over or the under. Uh, we don't, and unfortunately, we really don't get much of a read on these umpires until 10 or 12 starts into the season, where most of the full-time umpires have pretty much reached at this point. And at least, uh, again, I don't use it as a determining factor. I use it more as a Supporting factor, but it's a much it, it, the the group of umpires who seem to have developed those numbers are fewer and fewer over the years. I can't remember the ump's name now. The guy that Robbie Alomar spit on, Hirschbeck was it Hirschbeck? Uh, it was one of the Hirschbecks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hirschbeck unders used to be 
uh, <laughs> pretty consistent. That was the one that I loved. You know, Hirschbeck behind the plate, you know that strike zone is going to be wide. Um, but well, you know, well, I'll do the same thing, by the way, with starting pitcher matchups. And I think like this year, I think for uh, Colorado, Senzatella is something like 7-0 and to the over. And sometimes he's pitched well and sometimes he's not pitched well. But I've noticed that. Now, that's not going to be a predictive thing for his next start. But being aware of that, I will be looking to it. Now, if, uh, he, he, he's more bad than good. He's decent. He's average. But you know, if you go A, B, C, D, he's probably in the you know, C-minus category for me. So if he's going up against another weak, um, uh, another weak starter on the other side, which pretends by itself to be a high-scoring game, if I'm using, you know, if, if, the ump, if the expected umpire for that game is a guy who calls a lot of strikes and not a lot of balls and a lot of his games stay uh, under the total, I might be reluctant to play it. If he's a neutral umpire or certainly an umpire that has a, uh, a tendency to have more overs than unders, that might make me like that over matchup even more. But if he's a strong under umpire, that might be there's one of those reasons where I would probably pass the game or it would just be a lean on the over rather than uh, a play in which I'm more confident. Now, uh, do you do anything with the, like the WRC plus or the barrel rates or the uh, fielding, uh, fielding independent pitching or XFIP, the uh, you know adjusted fielding independent pitching or Sierra and any of the the um, advanced metrics that have really taken the betting markets by storm over the last three to five years? Have you moved on to those type of stats? I, I use it somewhat, but I also keep in mind that the analytics are also, for the most part, presented on a full season basis rather than, let's say, a 10 game where the sample is very is very low. I, I believe that, that analytics are a great tool, but not rely upon to the exclusion of uh, of other uh, of other statistics uh, some some of these uh, some of the philosophies behind some of these statistics i don't consider to be totally valid because they make too many assumptions sure and i'm with you 100% when it comes to current form being you know current form trumps everything it's the most important piece of the equation i don't care how bad you know the uh, the cincinnati reds went 1 and 19 when they started you know, or they had a, what, 4-23 and 23 to start the season, 1-19 and 19 run during that span. Bet against Cincinnati during that span, you made a whole bunch of money. Since that time, Reds are making money, you know? So well, full yeah, season well, yeah, stats aren't going like to tell that. you the truth about a team like the Cincinnati Reds, and they're certainly not unique. In that regard, I'm Sandy. I'm sorry, Andy. What were you trying to say? No, no. I was going to say you talk about the beginning part of the season when they're in that one and nineteen streak. The the, the the position I was taking throughout much of the streak, once I sort of identified it, uh, was that I would find it almost impossible to bet on Cincinnati, but it would not be an automatic bet against Cincinnati. You know, you know one thing that you, you understand when when two really bad teams meet, one of those teams has to win and one of those teams has to lose. But both teams are saying, hey, we're playing another weak team. This is one of our better chances to get a win. So you can't overlook the fact that as much as as you think that this is a good spot for this horrible team that may may even be a slight favorite because they're playing another bad team, the other team, the opponent, is looking at it at the very same thing. Hey, this is one of the few games we can win. <laughs> so we saw our first manager get fired this week uh, when on Friday Joe Girardi uh, took uh, uh, took the axe from the Philadelphia Phillies. Do managers matter, Andy? And if so, give me a list of a, a good or a bet on or bet against manager right now. We got about ninety seconds before the break. Uh, 
managers do matter. Most observers uh, go back through history and say they may make the difference between four to six games per year based upon their decisions or non-decisions. Oh, one of the managers that uh, that I do rate highly, and he's he's been plenty had plenty of experience, is Buck Showalter, who's taken over a Mets team that is committed to putting good good players on the field, and I think he uh, he makes a big difference. I think he's earned the respect of the younger players and certainly of the veteran players, many of whom have played for or against him in past years. So I like the job that he's been doing, especially considering that the top half of their uh, starting rotation, uh, DeGrom's not pitched at all and Scherzer only made a handful of starts. So I think it's pretty remarkable that his team has played as well as it has. As far as uh, weak managers, well, you just mentioned the one who's now unemployed, Joe Girardi, I think has very much underachieved with that talent. Yeah, the, the guy that stands out to me as a manager that uh, I think the weakest standing manager in Major League Baseball, that would be Tony La Russa for the Chicago White Sox. I think some of the White Sox underachieving ways are based on the fact that they have a manager whose better managerial days were probably 20, three decades ago, 30 years ago. Exactly. More with Andy Isco coming up after the break. Covering continues. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. We're talking MLB with Andy Isco right here on the SportsGrid Radio Network. Cover it with Teddy Covers. Andy We've talked about managers. We've talked about statistics. I'm going to talk about mistakes. What are the biggest mistakes that recreational bettors make? What are the biggest mistakes that professional bettors make when it comes to betting MLB? It's hard to think of too many mistakes that the professionals make because they are so organized, so regimented, but that in itself may be a mistake, uh, sometimes a degree of unwillingness to make an exception for what is normally a rule if circumstances suggest it or seem to be, or seem to be more significant to a specific matchup than the numbers would suggest. That might be about uh, the, the robotic approach that some of the professionals, which works very well, by the way. Way, but occasionally there there has to be room for deviation when the situation uh, calls for it. As far as uh, the uh, the non-professionals, well, it's long been said that uh, the public generally plays favorites and overs, and that has generally been true. But I don't know that it's as true today as it was in years past because there's so much more information available with the advent of the internet and the uh, uh, and you know, the cable TV programming expansion so that even the non-professional better is much more informed uh, that they have been in the past. Now, that's assuming they take advantage of the additional resources that are available, but more and more are taking advantage of it. Um, I think another mistake that, uh, I don't know if I would call it a mistake because it may be something overlooked, is that the recreational betters do not take as much advantage of in-play wagering as is available. There are many opportunities. There, I'm sure you, you may do the same thing, that 
There are games uh, that we have no position on prior to the start of the game, but we end up during the course of, of a number of games being able to collect on both sides because at one time you're playing uh, Team A as an underdog, and then there's a, a quick switch in momentum, and Team B becomes the underdog, uh, underdog in in-play wagering, especially in the NBA. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. In my mind, the biggest mistake recreational bettors make, the single biggest mistake, is the concept they always want to bet a little to win a lot. You know? They're always like, oh, well, let's parlay this. And the pros will often do it the other way. They're comfortable playing the no overtime in the Super Bowl or the no safety, lay a thousand, you know, uh, lay ten to win one at minus a thousand. Uh, but that concept of, oh, let's bet a little and win a lot, it's a nice theory. Baseball is a grind, it's not a quick strike, quick score type of uh, summer. Uh, what were you say yeah, I, with, with respect to parlays, a parlay is nothing more than making a bet, winning the bet, and rolling that bet over into another bet with the full proceeds of what you collected from the first bet. Now, often we think of parlays as, well, there are seven uh, NFL games going off at one time, so, I, so uh, if I want to play these games in a parlay, uh, I'm not going to be able to have, a, at the end, any hedging opportunities, which some people agree or disagree with. You know, the theory being, if you liked it at the start, you know, you should like it even though you've got uh, your other six winners and you need this one to complete. But if you do the mathematical calculations, two and three team parlays are not all that much negative as far as what you would collect at the, you know, the six and a half or whatever the odds are on a three team parlay on the, uh, the 13 to five. Then if you did the rollover concept and in a situation where let's say you're playing two football games and are both starting at the same time and you make it a two or three team. Once you get the four teams or more, then you're giving away way too much in the expected return versus doing it the traditional way of game A, it wins, roll it all over to B, roll it all over to C, etc. So that I can understand as being uh, certainly a major flaw, but again, when you're looking to build a bankroll and becoming a professional, I can understand why people do that. Um, I used to do it when I first started, and I haven't done it in a long, long time because I've been able to do things with the bankroll that uh, I play play a little bit more conservatively, let's say. Uh, these days than uh, than uh, than in the past, but uh, uh, I, I agree with you that that's one mistake. And again, I, and I think I sort of alluded to earlier, feeling that you gotta be in action every day. Sure, that's a that's a huge. Sometimes, sometimes you need to take a rest just because of all the mental grind that you've gone through, and sometimes you need to take a rest just simply because there's nothing on the board that attractive that looks attractive, and so you invent reasons to play a game just so they have the action. Sure, and again, they, they, your, your your comment from earlier in the show, you know, one of the biggest edges the betters have over the bookmaker, and it's a legitimate edge. The bookmaker has to post lines for every game, and we get to pick and choose what we want to bet on. There are days, absolutely, especially in the summer months, that I, too, Andy Esco, do not make a single wager. Not a lot of days, but they absolutely do happen. And, and you know, Especially along those same lines, is unless you have like a network of handicappers, okay, and, every, and they each have their own specialty, it's hard to be, a, uh, it's hard to know all 353 Division I uh, college basketball teams or all 130 uh, uh, FBS teams. Specialize in a conference or two, learn as much as you can. It means instead of reading about uh, the game between UCLA and UCLA, because you're following the Big Ten and the ACC, you go back and you read the school newspapers, you go back and you read the beat writers on those times, so you spend the time finding out more information about the teams you're focused on than you do just reading a handful of articles and spending time reading on a, on a conference or a team that you're really not familiar with. 
All right, Andy. We got about seven minutes left and about 100 questions I want to ask you. Let's go quick hitter. Best lineups in baseball right now? Well, you'd have to look at the Yankees and uh, the Dodgers and uh, the Mets as far as based upon the runs that they've scored per game where they have a significant edge over the rest of the league, which is very closely uh, closely bunched. At the other end, I think the weakest lineup, you'd have to say so far, has been Detroit. I think they are averaging about a half run less per game than team number 29, and that's a huge gap when you're talking about a, a closely bunched group of 30 teams. So uh, it may not be that way. I know that Detroit has struggled a lot. Now, the Dodgers have struggled lately in putting runs on the board. They had that long stretch where they were winning games, or rather they were covering the minus one and a half. That's not been the case recently, and they started to lose some games, and a lot of it has to do with the ineffectiveness of the line of a guy like Max Muncy, who's been absolutely horrible this year. A lot of the other key players have, have struggled. I expect that to turn around, but again, if you look throughout the Major League Baseball, almost every team has a bunch of guys, no more than two or three, who are hitting below like 240. That's got to pick up. I said it would start to pick up before Memorial Day, and I think we've started to see it for most of those teams that were really, really struggling throughout throughout April and into the early part of May, finally starting to put up numbers that were expected of them before the season. Yeah, I look at Detroit as a team that is absolutely primed to do a heck of a lot better offensively over the final two-thirds of the season than they did over the first third of the season, where, as you mentioned, dead last in baseball by a wide margin in runs scored. Those season-long stats will continue to have Detroit's offensive numbers rated very, very poorly for months moving forward, even if Detroit's offense get better. I think you can make money uh, with the Tigers. The other team, we just talked about, you're already getting fired. That Phillies lineup is loaded, okay? Maybe they can't pitch. Maybe they've underachieved. But before this season's through, we're going to see Philadelphia score runs and punches. The Phillies at or near the top. Uh, of my most well, underachieving that's why when you brought up who's so the worst far. manager in baseball now, I said if you asked me that question yesterday, I'd have a different answer. Yeah, all right. Uh, let's talk bullpens. Best bullpens, worst bullpens. Give me a couple examples. I've seen surprisingly strong numbers out of, well, Milwaukee's been up there all season. Uh, the Yankees have been up there all season. Houston and San Diego have been up there uh, all season. So those are amongst the uh, uh, the ones that I look at. You mentioned San Francisco before. They've been struggling. We've seen the struggles of the uh, Los Angeles Angels uh, really just within this past week where we've seen them unable to protect leads multiple late leads. I'll go back to that series against Toronto. They could have easily won all of those games. Uh, they had a series against Texas, I, I believe, recently where they had some difficulty with their bullpen. And uh, uh, I expect the Angels to be a team that will uh, fall uh, fall down the numbers and fall down the charts as far as the standings go. I think they are now, what, maybe two games over 500 or, or something along those lines, maybe even closer to 500. Uh, I don't think I factored in the doubleheader loss yesterday. Uh, but those are the two that come to mind uh, in, in the two leagues. So here we are. It's, uh, what, the 4th of June, uh, today on Saturday. Uh, so we're, as you mentioned, a third of the way through the season. There's still two-thirds of this MLB season or close to it remaining. Right now, you know, you, we talk about some of the, uh, the best lineups and the best bullpens. From a value standpoint, what teams do you think have talent, but have underachieved early that are undervalued right now? And what teams do you think have kind of won, uh, played their best baseball already? <laughs> and it's June, 
and you're not, we're not going to make money with them moving forward. Give me an undervalued squad or two and an overvalued well, squad or two. Let, let me take a look at, take at it from the over, uh, overvalued. It's hard to think that these teams are overvalued, the Yankees, the Mets, and the Astros. And why do I mention those three teams? Well, I, I group each teams based upon their performances into categories A, B, C, and D, A being the best. Those are basically teams that have won uh, 60% of their games or more to date, okay? Not at the time that they played them, but as of right now. Uh, the Yankees, the Mets, and the Astros are all teams that have won 600, uh, more, 60% of the games or more. There are a couple of other teams. But the Yankees, Mets, and Astros have yet to face a fellow Class A team. The, those others being, well, those three themselves, if they played each other, which they haven't yet, uh, the Dodgers, uh, Milwaukee, and San Diego all qualify. And we've not seen these teams. You know, and again, a team like uh, uh, San Diego and L.A. Uh, are division rivals, but they, uh, they haven't met yet. So that's a rather unusual the way the scheduling has has, uh, has unfolded. So I'm, I'm saying overvalued in the sense that you may be paying too high of a price, and when they ultimately face some of the better teams in the league, some of the best teams in the league, they are likely to uh, end up perhaps splitting those games rather than having a significantly uh, good record. Like, for example, I'll take a look at a team like Minnesota, 0-5 against the top teams in the league, 17-8 and against the teams in the league that have won 40% or fewer of their games. So Minnesota may be a more of a mediocre team that may be a bit overvalued right now. As far as uh, as undervalued, uh, I guess Philadelphia simply because of the fact that they are underperforming what has been expected of them, and we know they're a better team than that. Atlanta, another team that has been struggling. You know, both of these teams are expected to contend along with the Mets for the NLA's championship, and right now, you know, the Mets are running away with that division. But again, we mentioned two thirds of the season uh, still to go. I think Boston is reaching the point of being undervalued right now. They've started to put some of their offense together, and I expect uh, you know, a short-term run out of the Red Sox. Their pitching has been better than expected. Guys like Michael Walker and Eovaldi and uh, Pavetta, I think, have performed better than anyone would have expected them to. And as soon as that offense, which has started to pick up, continues to do so, I think there will be some value on Boston, but only in the short term because I think a lot of us are waiting for Boston to make a bit of a run, much like with Atlanta and Philadelphia. Um, with you on the Red Sox being a team you should be able to make money with in the month of June. I'm also looking at Detroit and Seattle as two teams that started out real slow that have potential moving forward. Andy Isco, 30 seconds. Promote yourself, my friend. We're out of time. Uh, Vegas Andy 711 at Cox.net. If people want to reach me by email, Vegas Andy 711 on Twitter. And uh, mentioned about a team to keep an eye on that we were talking about possibly in the short term. I like the let's go with the new manager theory. That would suggest Philadelphia good for the short term. I'll probably be playing them the uh, the rest of the weekend and probably through. The, I expect through the next ten games they'll be a profitable team. And he says, look at the Phillies as a bet-on team right now. I don't disagree with that. One iota. Andy Isco, thank you so much, my friend. Enjoy the weekend. We'll talk to you again in the not-too-distant I'll look forward to it. It's bad at it. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. We're here in the home 
home stretch of Cover It with Teddy Covers. Listen, if you missed any portion of today's show, if you want to go back and hear what Andy Isco said in the top of the show or anything he said, if you want to go back and check out any of the archive versions of Cover It with Teddy Covers, it's all available. Every major podcast outlet's going to have it. Just search Cover It or Cover It with Teddy Covers. You can download and consume at your convenience. And again, the archives are right there. You can listen to every show that I've ever done for the Sports Grid Radio Network. Again, search Cover It or Cover It with Teddy Covers. And you'll find it to download and consume at your convenience or to re-listen to any part of the show that you missed. Again, just a quick show note. I will not be around next week. I'm really looking forward to taking a week off. I've earned it. I'm ready for it. We will not be around for next week. We'll be back the following week uh, right back here on the Sports Grid Radio Network. Let me give you guys an MLB opinion uh, for today on Saturday. And here's the concept. You know, the Washington Nationals have been pretty lifeless of late. Their current road trip, they've been really uh, lifeless. Again, this is a team that won a World Series in 2019, and now they're arguably the worst team in baseball. First four games of the road trip outscored 36-6. to On the previous road trip, the Nats lost four out of six. And every one of those losses during this span. So, again, that's two and eight their last ten on the road. Every one of the losses came by four runs or more. This is not a team that's responding well to adversity, to put it mildly. The lineup's ice cold. What do they score? Two runs or less, 11 times their last 18. The bullpen's a sieve. It's overworked. This is a bad baseball team. Cincinnati's not a bad baseball team. Yeah, they had a dismal April. They were 1-19 that slump. They started 4-23. And then Friday night, 13-8 their last 21. 5-1 their last 6 at home. This is a ride the hot, fade the cold situation. I'm looking at the Cincinnati Reds over the Washington Nationals in MLB action, early start action this afternoon on Saturday. That's going to wrap it for Cover It with Teddy Covers. We'll do it again tomorrow. Good show tomorrow. We're going to be talking AFC football, going through all 16 teams with Las Vegas Chris. Be sure to tune in. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the games, and good luck all week.